I'm Paula Rogers-Brown, Business Community Manager for Connect Health Tech. And in this episode of Joining the Dots, we explore innovative educational programmes that equip individuals with the key skills and knowledge needed to embark on an entrepreneurial journey. Today, I will be speaking with a previous participant of the Enterprise Tech and Enterprise Tech Star programmes offered by the Cambridge Judge Business School. Joining me is Coco Newton, a third year PhD student in the Department of Clinical Neurosciences at Cambridge. Coco's research work investigates novel cognitive outcome measures for preclinical stages of Alzheimer's disease using immersive virtual reality tests of navigation. Wow, that's really fascinating stuff, Coco. So thank you very much for joining me today. And, and tell me a little bit more about yourself and your journey to your PhD research. Yeah, thank you very much for, for having me today. It's really exciting to be uh, to be speaking on this podcast. So my PhD journey started through a series of um, complete random encounters, as most things in life. But during my undergrad, I took um, a sort of a year in industry. Um, but instead of going to industry, I went to a research lab because I wanted to get a sense of what academia was like and went to UCL and loved it, decided to do a PhD and was quite overconfident in the sense that I found someone that I wanted to, to work with and uh, ended up just emailing him completely cold with my CV. And um, he was said, yeah, actually, you know what, you, you do seem kind of relevant to what we're trying to do. And so it wound up um, in my PhD position and um, obviously a lot of hard work along the way. But um, I think it really stemmed from actually having lots of interest in different things. So the reason why I ended up doing navigation as a research field was because I really like architecture and I wanted to find out how the brain perceives space and why some spaces feel better than others. And then I realized there was this overlap with, with dementia and Alzheimer's disease. And uh, because I have a family history, my grandmother um, passed away from dementia when I was about 18. It was always in the back of my mind that we had to do the process better because I saw what she went through. And, and so that's really what sort of captured my fascination with the particular subject. Yeah, it's it's interesting that um, with other people that I've spoken to, family um, circumstances and situations can be motivators and drivers for 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 onward research. Um, so that's that's really that's really interesting to hear. Now, talk me through your experience of the Enterprise Tech Program, Coco. From your perspective, what were the key highlights? Um, there were loads of highlights, actually. Primarily, it was the access to the network of Cambridge um, because there's so much going on and you just you really need one foot in the door to realise how big it is. And it's for me, it was really about, you know, knowing what you don't know. That was the biggest sort of learning process. I was like, OK, now I know what I don't know, but I know how to go about accessing this knowledge and accessing the contacts and the people that I need to achieve this, you know, particular step, stepping stone or hurdle. Or So I would definitely say it's just it's the networking opportunity you get with it. So knowing what you don't know and being able to understand and, and fill those gaps, if you like, has been a great benefit. Have there been any other yeah, benefits um, at, at all? Uh, well, I mean, from a personal perspective, you meet so many great people. Um, you're you're surrounded by a group of other PhD students and postdocs who, like you, 
love science but want to do more with science right have more impact and get their research out into the world so people can benefit from it and um, it's not always easy to find people like that within a traditional lab environment so having a kind of a dense cluster of people that that share your same beliefs and, and ideals is great and you you honestly make friends for life and you have such a sense of community within both enterprise tech and enterprise tech star that it's you know I can't help but tell everyone I meet that hasn't done it that you should really do it it's a great it's a great course you learn so much um and yeah so definitely the the friendship aspect has been another highlight brilliant what did you enjoy the most I think it was just a real mind opening process you know it's that feeling that you have of, of mind expansion and um a visionary expansion and you realize that you want more for your career than you'd previously thought and you realize that it's tangible as well. That So, I mean, I was very much on the sort of traditional academic postdoc track and was thinking about staying in research and establishing my own field. And while I still want to do that, I've also realized that I want to have more impact. And one of the ways to do that is through entrepreneurship. So the key difference, I think, bef before enterprise tech me and post enterprise tech me is um, just having a lot more sort of drive to achieve a lot more varied things. Um, and that's that's just, you know, you, you it's really hard to come by those experiences. So I'm really grateful for that. Super. That's really great. Now, how accessible is funding to undertake a programme like those JBS ones? Was it an easy process to navigate? And do you have any tips for others to participate in this type of programme? Yeah, it's it's an important question because obviously that is often a barrier to doing these things. But the the enterprise tech people, um, Ollie and Rebecca, they're really open and clear about you know how much money it costs to take part, but where you can find sources. So I'd say if anyone has any doubts or queries, just get in contact because you'll you'll have an answer almost immediately. One thing that I did is because I have some research funding attached to my stipend, I used a bit of that and then I was able to match 50% of it with funding from uh, the judge and, and from Enterprise Tech, um, which it made a huge difference for me and it, it makes a huge difference for a lot of people. So if you don't have that research funding, you can also go to your college. Um, often colleges have a, a pot of money set aside for professional development of their students and postgraduate students. And then there are a couple of other funding schemes in and around um, the university to take part in these activities, but they're slightly more difficult to find. It's just a process of emailing people, getting talking to people, finding opportunities and uh, finding what works for you. That's great advice. Thank you very much, Coco. Now, from your own personal journey to date, can you tell me um, about a time when a connection or network led to an opportunity you would not have got otherwise? So many. Like, I mean, like I said at the beginning, I think, honestly, at least professionally, but also personally, life is just you, you meet around in person and it just completely opens a new door. I mean, one of the big ones was... Um, actually getting into my PhD position. So when I, I talked about emailing this, this supervisor that I wanted to work with, I actually serendipitously met him at a conference that I hadn't really been planning to attend. And it was through chatting to him, I realized that that he was doing the type of research that I, what I wanted to do. Another example was um, I applied recently for the Schmidt Science Fellowship Scheme. It's run by the Schmidt Ventures Group, but they've, they, they basically fund you to switch fields from your PhD to your postdoc, which is quite cool. It's quite rare in academia, I think. But um, the reason I found out about that fellowship is because a friend I had through... Um, 
the MPhil teaching associate program that I'm on asked me to be on his mock interview panel. And as I was interviewing him for this uh, position, I was like, oh, this actually sounds really cool. Maybe I'll apply for it. Um, and so I did. And I managed to get through the first round. So fingers crossed I make it through to the final. But yeah, so many people have led me to serendipitous uh, events and, and opportunities. Yeah, it's that thing of you never, you never ever know where that next connection or that person you're talking to or you know being involved in their mock interview what what that connect where that connection is going to lead it's just it, it's it's a yeah, fascinating definitely. journey it really is and yeah. I think that's, that's also something uh, that I learned in enterprise tech which is you know everyone has something to give um so never really shut down someone or, or close a door just because you never know where it's going to lead absolutely great stuff now let's talk about the Enterprise Tech Star Programme, which is a follow-on from the Enterprise Tech, and it's for those wanting to develop their own business ideas. How was your experience of this particular programme, and how did it differ from the first Enterprise Tech? I think Enterprise Tech Star is sort of like the adult version of Enterprise Tech. Um, okay. Enterprise Tech is a rite of passage, and Enterprise Tech Star is the sort of making you into the, you know, the man or the woman that you want to be. I think it's because in Enterprise Tech Star, you're on your own. It's your it's your idea that's on the line. It's not someone else's idea that's on the line. That's not to say it's a lonely experience because because it's a smallish cohort. There were fifteen or sixteen of us. It's a really tight knit community and everyone chips in into each other's projects or ideas. So we'd pitch to the whole room and everyone would give feedback or we'd put our first logo design on the screen and everyone would give feedback. So it's a lot more adults, but it's a lot more cohesive in despite the fact that you're by yourself and you're not in a team of other students. Really interesting. And what key learnings did you get from this specific programme that you've been able to turn into action? I think it's to be very simplistic. It's just the, the business lingo, quote unquote, that you learn that, you know, every sector has their own specialized terminology and especially entrepreneurship and, and business. It's you need to know how to communicate certain ideas to people in a certain way. And I think that's what Enterprise Techstar has given me. I think mostly through um, we had this opportunity every Saturday, every two Saturdays to do the mentoring brunches where essentially Rebecca and Ollie would haul in, you know, leading business figures, industry figures to come and sit with us literally for three hours, their own time. Um, and our job was to speak to five of them within within the space of a morning. And you have to talk to, you know, chemists or venture capitalists or CEOs or COOs. And they all speak the same ish language, but a little bit subtly different and learning to kind of bend and mold your idea in a way that they will get what you're saying that is a research it's, it's a skill and it only comes through practice so um that's definitely the best learning I've got and then you know more mundane learnings are things like how do you form a value proposition and how do you communicate that in a pitch deck you know really important skills that I definitely haven't polished they're not finalized but like I said at the beginning it's the known unknowns and you know what you've got to work on to get better get to the next step great that's that's really great and I think that's um just sharing that that advice there that that experience will be so useful and impactful for others possibly thinking about uh starting their own entrepreneurial journey there so you've talked about earlier on that you you know you were on the traditional postdoc pathway but then thought okay how can I create and have more impact with my research so tell me a little bit more about your venture what is the product or technology and what's the problem you're trying to solve so um my PhD has really been sort of questioning this assumption that 
in Alzheimer's disease and dementia, um, it starts, you know, in older life and it starts with a very quick onset of, of memory loss. But actually what we think is that Alzheimer's disease and other dementia diseases probably biologically start in the brain in midlife, but they don't really show symptoms until old age because the brain is just really fantastic at compensating. But if we designed cognitive assessments which could sort of stop the compensation process to unmask those very early of early brain changes, then we'd be able to pick up on symptoms and brain changes earlier. And if you if you pick up on those things earlier, you can give people interventions earlier, you can create public health strategies and prevention strategies. So and, and that's a whole sort of um, doctrine in the field. But the real clincher is that those cognitive tests that I've been idolizing don't yet exist. So in my PhD, um, we took this kind of theory driven approach, which is that the area of the brain that's first affected in Alzheimer's disease biologically is an area of the brain that has these very unique neurons, which are sort of responsible for our ability to navigate. And that's things like, you know, remembering where you left your keys last night or um, trying to, you know, find your way around a new city. So we designed some uh, cognitive tests of navigation, but we had to use virtual reality because if you imagine navigation, you need to use your whole body to do it, right? You have to walk around, you have to use cues from self-motion to be able to remember space as well as what you can see. And that's where the immersive virtuality comes in because we can control what people see, but more importantly, we can change the conditions. So you can imagine navigating in a normal environment, but then what happens if we take out all of the landmarks around you? And so you're completely left in a featureless environment. How do you cope? And uh, in my PhD, I found that the way that people cope is quite sensitive to their risk status for future for future dementia. So now uh, this is great as an academic exercise. It's kind of the theory is, is sort of correct. Um, but now what are we going to do with that? So our product is these virtual reality cognitive tests, which form part of a larger suite of products that we've got in development, which are related to the same aspect of, you know, improving cognitive assessment for different healthcare applications. And so what we're now doing is we've got our minimal viable product. And what we're trying to do is, is reach out to clinical trial providers and to say to them, look, you know, your problem is that you can't recruit patients early enough in the disease to give them the intervention where it has a chance to have an effect. Because if you imagine the brain is just full of pathology and you're trying to give someone a drug, that drug is set up to fail from the beginning. So what they need is cognitive assessments that can enable them to A, recruit patients and monitor patients in an earlier stage at a younger age. Um, and so that's what we're going to start with. And as we develop over a couple of years, we eventually want to try and go into the NHS. But you could imagine virtual reality or especially immersive virtual reality. It's not necessarily the most clinically scalable uh, device that we have currently. So part of our work at the moment is going to be refining this cognitive task down into something that is a little bit more useful. So maybe a smartphone or a tablet, which will enable primary care physicians to use it in, you know, short. Ideally, we'd have a short two minute test that we can hand to the GP and say, this is going to increase your specificity for picking up early changes by X percent. So that's what we're working towards. But we're very early stages. So really, at the moment, what we're trying to do is is just scale up into some some bigger clinical cohorts to, to build on this kind of proof of concept we've developed in academia. And what parts of the Cambridge ecosystem have you been tapping into around this new new venture, Coco? So 
I think if Enterprise Tech gave me the confidence to to reach out to my collaborators and say, hey, let's commercialize this, then I think the next offer that the ecosystem gave me was the Accelerate program, which has given us the kind of the roadmap, if you will, to, to how we're going to proceed next. So how we will incorporate, are we going to take external investments, so on and so forth. So that real sort of uh, mentoring aspect in a real world setting, whereas enterprise textile feels still a little bit more of a kind of learning environment, less of a real world environment. And then the other thing I've I've signed up to and, and um, got involved with is the BioSpark program run by um, Tony Kozoridis and Milner, which you probably know about. Um, and that's just starting this year. So I'm part of uh, version one. I'm not sure. I can't tell you anything yet because it hasn't started um but there's constantly things going on i mean the other week i was at the nuclear cambridge launch which is another sort of um incubator slash accelerator slash learning experience um so yeah there's there's just tons of things going on in cambridge that you can get involved with fascinating well what's it been like starting a new venture in, in cambridge you know you're on this start of this entrepreneurial journey what's it like it's really exciting. I mean, I have to say we're not we're not physically in Cambridge in the sense that uh, one of my collaborators is in York and another's at UCL. So we're kind of going for a virtual uh, venture startup initially. But being in Cambridge personally is is great because it's it's not so much about the venture as it is about the professional and personal development you go through as an individual. And you need to go through that process, I think, when you're when you're starting something new because it requires such a completely different skill set to what you're used to. And I'd say if there's any place in the UK to do it, it is Cambridge because they they have those opportunities and that also that mindset that of, of the professional and personal development that you need to go through as an individual. Um, and they will make those opportunities available to you, as I said. So, no, it's been fantastic. And I'm just I'm really excited to get started on the Accelerate cohort and uh, the Biospark programme. Now, let's just touch upon the research to proof of concept, because that's really where you are at this stage. And we often hear that having the right people around you can make all the difference to an entrepreneur, particularly those just starting out. So how do you go about finding the right people? You've obviously been on the various um, innovation programmes, but are there other things that you are doing to find the right people? What's been your experience, Coco? I think there's definitely a degree of luck involved that you just encounter people on on your journey. But, you you know, luck isn't a sort of mythical thing. It's it's about making opportunities for yourself. Right. Um, and so if you put yourself into enough far reaching situations, you will meet those people. So um, my advice would be just just get yourself known, get yourself out there, take part in events, go to seminars, talk to people because you never know who you meet. And my Ph.D. supervisors sort of become my unofficial mentor and he's been fantastic in in guiding me and you know asking me the right questions and making me become a self-sufficient thinker um and then also people like Rebecca from the enterprise tech program she's such a sort of formidable force and she will guide you if you want her guidance you just got to ask um and I think it that's what it simply comes down to is is you find people you think you know what I think I could really benefit from your support and your mentorship just to ask them and say, would you mind, you know, grabbing lunch with me once once every couple of months or go grab a coffee or can I run something by you? And I've never had someone turn around and say, you know what? No, I can't. I can't do that. Um, and I, I was at an early career researcher retreat uh, a couple of months ago and I, I met a professor who 
was literally talking to us about how she has a friend that she goes for a sushi dinner with every month and another friend that she has a weekly Zoom call with and another colleague that she goes for coffee with. And she's just set up this network around her of people. And I think that's the right way to go about life because there's so much to learn from each other and so much to to gain from having other people's support. And it goes back to that that, um, point you made earlier that um, everybody's got something to give. Yes, it, it, all, it all builds into that. That's brilliant. Now, just talking about your entrepreneurial journey, what initial advice would you give to someone who is wishing to take their research to that next level and develop a proof of concept and maybe create a, a spin-out venture? What advice would you would you give to that person? I'd say just immerse yourself in the opportunities that Cambridge has. I think the biggest process, and I've probably repeated it a few times now, but the biggest process you have to go through is go through is realizing what you don't yet know. And once you realize what you don't yet know, it's so much easier to set a path for yourself um, and to uh, you know know what you have to do, who you have to talk to, how you you can communicate your idea. And I think it's it's kind of working along that lean startup model is just constantly test your ideas, get feedback, iterate, test your ideas, get feedback, iterate. And of course, there's the aspect of IP and, you know, making sure that you're not giving away too much of the game away. So get advice, read up on on how to communicate about, you know, ideas without giving away too much of, of the trade secrets. If you want operating complete stealth mode, I mean, of course, that's one way to do it, but you make your, it makes it a lot harder if you don't have anyone to bounce ideas off. So find that person that you can trust and and just get iterating. Great advice. Absolutely great. So where do you see yourself or where do you see your entrepreneurial journey taking you, say, 10 years time? Um, I think I, I don't know if I see myself as an entrepreneur or what I really see myself as I just have this goal of getting these navigation assessments out into into the into patients' hands and into the clinic environment. So in 10 years, I hope that we that we've made, you know, that we've got inside at least one or two NHS trusts that there are patients that are using our assessments and that people's lives are benefiting in some way from it, that they're getting access to support that they need earlier, that GPs are struggling less with with the tools that they're currently being forced to use. Um, and that maybe our, our venture has been acquired by by a large company and that they can do the work for us, that we don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel. Um, and then I'm potentially moving on to something else, maybe working in a social enterprise to increase awareness about dementia and dementia prevention, healthier brain health lifestyles. Um, so that's that's where I really see myself going. Great. I, I think that's that's really it's really inspiring, Coco, um, to hear that. What just on that, what or who inspires you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think a lot of things inspire me, but one thing that always pops up in my head when people ask me is I'm really inspired by strong women around me women that are in business or in leadership or or graphic design or architect whatever it is just women that are being successful doing what they love doing um, and I think that's why representation matters so much is that you can see someone that looks like you and acts like you doing something really cool and you think I want that for me as well um, and that you you feel like there is a route to, to achieve it so yeah for sure strong and successful women Fantastic. That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Coco. That we've got so much there. And I really um hope this is inspires others to to just follow your sort of journey there and just take all those opportunities that 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 come to the fore. Are you an idealist 
or a realist? Uh, idealist. Well, I was going to say I'm a bit of both, but that's a cop-out answer. <laughs> I think I, I definitely I'm, I'm a big idealist in the sense that I, I have lots of grand ideas about how things could be done. Um, and then I have to either talk to people or bring myself back down to earth uh, as a realist. So a bit of both. A bit of both. Cool. If you could time travel, where would you go and when? I would say go back in past purely because I think I'm a bit of an old soul and uh, would have done really well in, in the 70s and 80s. But lifestyle restrictions back then, I think, would have uh, certainly made me feel horrible about myself. So um, I don't know, maybe not too far in the future. I don't want to miss out on on things. And also, I'm not sure the future looks all too bright uh, for the globe, i.e. climate change. But yeah, let's let's go with future and hope for a brighter world. OK, how far in the future would you go? Oh, not too far. Am I allowed to stay the same age? Of course. OK, um, let's let's go with 20 years. 20 years. Let's, from see, now. How, let's see how dementia is, is being uh, prioritised then. Absolutely. Now. Yeah, let's see. Let's see if your technology is in practice, being used in the, mm. in the community in practice. Let's do it. Um, would you consider yourself to be a team player or a lone wolf? Team player, 100%. A night out or box set binge? Um, a box set binge. Yeah, I think I've done the night outs and uh, now I'm I'm fully a, a sofa a sofa mole at the moment. That's a, that's a, I've not heard that term sofa mole. I'm going to use that one. <laughs> but what what current box sets have you been watching? What's been on your on your watch list? Um, I just finished League of Their Own on Prime, which is a, a remake of the '70s film. Um, but this time, because it, you know it's about women's baseball and softball in the US, but this time instead of just talking about the sort of main demographic of middle class white women uh it's it's giving a voice to all the stories of all the people all the women involved in back in the 40s and 50s who were playing baseball or trying to play baseball uh and it's really great and it's really well made really great uh script writing so i really i recommend that that's a great recommendation thank you so much so thank you very very much i think we've got an awful lot for um listeners in this from being able to access the network of cambridge in itself knowing what you don't know and i think that is so so important for everybody in all types of of roles and walks of life knowing what you don't know and looking to identify some of those 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 gaps and how you're going to fill those gaps is is a is a sure thing and that virtual venture startup i i really like the fact that it's not everybody in in cambridge you've said you've got somebody involved from york and ucl and you're pulling together in a virtual space and really using the digital world to really build this venture from the ground up that's a fantastic um story there in itself coco and i very much think that we will be circling back to you for another podcast in a couple of years to, to see where you are in your entrepreneurial journey so thank you so much for joining me today for this joining the dots podcast thank you oh it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you very much 